0: My coach used to always say consistently good to be great and that never left me you want to be great yeah i want to be great be consistently good and all of a sudden over time you'll see this extremely large sample size of not only good but really good and all of a sudden it elevates into great
1: welcome to the building excellence podcast i'm your host bailey miles the Building Excellence podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. And if you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Sam Ocho is a former nine-year NFL veteran, current in-studio analyst for ESPN, author, public speaker, humanitarian, and committed Christian. Sam played college football at the University of Texas at Austin, where he was recently inducted into the University of Texas Athletics Hall of Honor. While at Texas, he received the William V. Campbell Trophy for being college football's top scholar-athlete. He also won the NCAA Top 8 Award, which recognizes the top eight student-athletes in all of sports, and was named the 2010 Big 12 Sportsperson of the Year. In 2011, Sam was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals and played four seasons as linebacker with the team. He then signed with the Chicago Bears for the 2015-16 season and played four years there before spending the 2019 season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In 2016-17, and 17, Sam was the Bears' nominee for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. He is also the vice president of the NFL Players Association, and Sam was named by Sporting News as one of the 20 smartest athletes in all of sports. Sam is the founder and president of Athletes for Justice and is also currently an ambassador for the International Justice Mission. Every year, he joins his family on medical mission trips to Nigeria and serves as the vice president of Living Hope Christian Ministries. This week, on Tuesday, March 7th, Sam is releasing his second book, "Chain Starts With You, which is about following your fire to heal a broken world. You can pre-order right now and get all the bonuses. And so to find out more, check out samachobook.com. I highly encourage you to get his book. Uh, If you're sitting here wondering how does he do all this, uh, listen to the show and find out. You will not be disappointed. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Building Excellence podcast today. I have a special guest, Sam Acho. Sam, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, if you wouldn't mind, uh, give our listeners some background to you and just kind of like what life was like growing up for you.
0: Well, first background, and you know, we talked about this off air, but I went to a school called St. Mark's, which rivaled your school, Holland That's Hall. Right. <laughs> um, y'all beat us in a championship game, and we beat y'all in another one. And there were some famed battles. Uh, I still remember the crimson color of y'all's jersey. I still don't like there that you color. Go. Yeah. Yeah. I went to Texas, and we, you know, and then we, we, the teams we played, Oklahoma and AM, Oklahoma. had like this crimson mm-hmm. type of color. And so, yeah, but I grew up in Dallas. Uh, My parents were born and raised in Nigeria. So though I grew up in Dallas, I would go to Nigeria every Christmas and New Year's. We spent a few weeks there since I was two or three. And as I got older to my teenage years, I'd go there for summer, in the summer for a few weeks, we would do these medical missions trips. My parents started this nonprofit. We'd bring doctors and nurses and surgeons, dentists, ophthalmologists, pharmacists, pediatricians, and do free medical care so much so that we actually got a chance to build a hospital in one of the villages in Nigeria. And so growing up, I got a chance to go and see this place. And we talked about it earlier, St. Mark's, the high school I went to, honestly was a predominantly white school and a predominantly like white neighborhood, right? But then the church I went to in, in South Dallas was a predominantly black church. And so I kind of grew up, we talk about the Nigerian piece of going back there, but then after you know second grade or so, I switched schools to St. Mark's and then still going to the church. And so there was almost these dynamics at play of just growing up, in Dallas, Texas, but somewhat of a convergence of all these different worlds.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, going back into kind of what you're talking about, going back to Nigeria, what were some of the things as you look back when you were younger that shaped you from those experiences and those trips?
0: Yeah, the first one, Bailey, was 15 years old, was the first year I went on the medical missions trip with my parents and all these nurses and doctors from America who took time off. You know, Doctors get paid with good money. They're Mm -hmm. taking time off and going for free and helping people and there's people there who are blind, like legit just blind, just for whatever reason. People who have like huge lumps and bumps and like on their body that hadn't been taken care of. People who have um, hernias and not like you think of all of sports hernia it's like hernia that just like is grown and grow like yeah. big stuff. And I was 15 and <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And a few things happened. Number one, even little a little thing of you know, at St. Mark's, we would have these you know, every Friday or Thursday was hamburger day. We had these hamburgers it was great, you know. Yeah. And in Nigeria, that time, we actually did a celebration for my grandmother, who was turning 80 or 90 years old. And they you know, think about it in like biblical times or whatever. People say, oh, I kill the fattened calf. Right. Like, <laughs> well, they killed a cow for her, like for the celebration, for the entire village to eat. Right. They had a goat in the back and a cow. And, like they were feeding this cow. I mean, this cow's got the life. Well, I go to sleep and wake up. The cow no longer had life, um, you know, but, but I do remember the smells, mm. like the smell of the, like I saw it and I smelt it. And needless to say, I I didn't partake very much longer in the burger days at St. Mark's. Okay. Um, but that was a memory that just stood out to me of, I yeah. see, you know, like food, food, something as simple as food. Like that animal was going to provide food for this entire village, this entire community. I talked about the goat that was back there. They had chickens as well. We think of these like farm animals, but that was how these people in these villages, my grandmother, yeah. ate. And so that was one memory that stuck stuck out. Another memory that stuck out was I was a little bit older, maybe 17 or 18 at the time, and I just started getting scholarship offers to different schools. USC was one of the first big schools that offered me back in 06 when they were, they just won two national championships and participated in a third. And I remember turning down Pete Carroll and there's a whole story that goes behind it. But the long short of it is I said, no, I freaked out. Mind you, they called me when I'm getting ready to get, it was a summer. I was getting ready to get on the plane to go on this trip to Nigeria to do this medical mission work. And I told them no, I felt the pressure. didn't feel right. But I remember getting on that plane and freaking out thinking, Oh no, I just made the worst decision of my life. How can I don't have, I didn't have any, i had like one other school. Like it wasn't a good school. And I landed, we landed in Nigeria. And my dad even on the flight was like, hey, son, calm down. God is in control. Don't worry about it. And I landed and spent those 10 days or two weeks in the village just helping and hanging and loving and serving. And I forgot about all the stresses of, uh, quote, stresses that I had back in America or even the offer that I said no to and all these things. Yeah. And I came back from that trip, and by the grace of God, other schools had found out that USC had offered. And also my computer science teacher at St. Mark's, Matt Jackson, had made a highlight tape for me and put it on this recruiting re- recruiting website called Rivals. And so during that time when I'm just gone serving, all this stuff is happening. So I come back, and my whole world changed. I had offers from nearly every school in the nation. I still have shoeboxes full of letters from school. So those are some of the memories early on in my childhood, even going back to Nigeria, that helped shaped me.
1: Yeah. And I love that I've heard you elaborate on that story a little bit. And so it's really interesting as you talk, you talk about, you weren't necessarily, I think that was it the first camp you went to and that really blew the door open when Pete Carroll gave you the offer. But the thing that I thought was really interesting is it didn't feel right. So you decided to trust God and step into something that, uh, when it didn't feel right, even though it was like USC, two national championships, Pete Carroll, you trusted, you know, God and were faithful and obedient to what you felt like he was calling you to do. And then obviously the you know, rest is history, but what was it like in those moments? I mean, growing up has faith always been important to you and, and how has it shaped you in terms of making decisions? And I know we'll dive into that later too, but like even at a young age, how are you making decisions that were kind of trying to be faithful and obedient to what God is, is calling you to do? Well, I love how you got, I love how you're taking notes. I love you got the fan. You're like, oh, sorry. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. I love it. Awesome. It's like i
0: was yeah. going to ask that, but he answered it. So, you know, but, um, that makes me happy. Um, yeah. So this is a good question because I have, you asked, man, has faith always been a part yeah. and I have kids. I have an eight year old and a six year old and a four year old and a seven month old. And we're growing, we're trying to guide them in the Lord. And like, we pray as a family. We read the Bible as a family. We go to church. We you know, try to honor God with our lives. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, my kids faith has always been a part, but, and that was like, like it, that was how it was with our parents. We, they, we, we, we were follow. we are followers of Jesus, but I know there was a moment and definitely in college and even probably younger, where it was like, Hey, this needs to become my own. Like it's not my mom and dad's faith or my sister, my older sister's their faith, faith or my little brother. It's mine. It's gotta be mine. And So to answer your question, I was raised in and around church, but also was raised in and around the word of God. Mm -hmm. People say, oh, church, church, I go to church or I'm a Christian. It's like, no, dude, like we're reading the scriptures. We're trying to walk out the scriptures and we're understanding that, no, nobody's perfect. And we all make mistakes and we all fall short. But there is a piece of this obedience. Okay, God, what do you have me to do? And I'm still working through that. God, there are things I don't want to do, but you're telling me to do. Will I do them? And so that's, that's how I grew up. And just to your point of like, when they're, I don't even know where this, the phrase comes from, but when the rubber meets the road, I got to figure out like, there might be some connotation that I don't know about that actual phrase. I'm learning in <laughs> TV. You can't just say all these phrases. And yeah, not what there you go, right. yeah. But like when the, when, you know, when, when, when the rubber meets met the road uh-huh. and I hadn't, like, I didn't plan on going to play football in college. I showed up to this football camp at USC because my younger brother wanted to go. He looked, at, looked it up online. He heard about it. My parents had family friends in California. We said, we'll, we'll make it a trip, a summer trip. We'll hang out. The kids will go to this camp. It'll be fine. And I went to a, like a Vanderbilt football camp before. And I remember the coach told me, yeah, you're just okay. You've got some raw talent. And I'm thinking, wow, at least I got some kind of talent. <laughs> my, dad, my dad is like, raw talent? You don't know my son. You know, and so I was like, dad, we're good. I got raw talent. Yeah. <laughs> but go to this the football camp at USC and the doors just blew open. Mind you, this was an invite-only camp, Bailey, and we weren't invited. Not only was it an invite-only camp, it was their top 300 camp. So the top 300 players from the entire state of California were coming to this camp. And so the fact that God did what he did, and and, and also, if you want to add, use another colloquialism, add insult to injury, not really insult or injury, but to add, add to it, I was playing tight end and defensive end in high school at St. Mark's. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to this camp and I'm going to go play tight end to show them that I'm an athletic tight end that can make plays. And the first couple of days of that camp, I was, I wasn't that I was bad. It was just, everyone else was better than me at tight end. Like they're taller and better route runners that could actually catch. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, what, let me change. So like the second half of that camp, I think it was a two day camp and second half of day one, I switched over to defense to play def- defensive end because I realized, man, these guys they don't look like me, <laughs> and I go and I just start winning, like one-on-one drills, just winning. And it wasn't anything planned or invited. We weren't invited, but I start doing these and I'm winning. And I'm and then we're doing our other drills, just like not one-on-one, just doing drills like footwork stuff. And I'm in the front. I'm I want to be in the front, and lead, and whatever. And so I get called back to like one of the periods of one of the places in the the camp. And I'm thinking that I made a mistake or something went wrong. Well, no, what happened was Lane Kiffin, who I didn't know who Lane Kiffin was at the time, was calling me back. Now I know who he is, was calling me back to go do drills in front of the head coach, who I didn't know who the head coach, I didn't know was P.K. I didn't know any of this stuff. I was watching cartoons on Saturdays, not college football. (laughs) And so it was like, no, man, you're good. And that was right around the time they said he would want to offer you. But even that didn't feel right because it just – there was some stuff about, hey, we want you to put on all this weight and play this different position. and didn't feel right. So saying no was really this thing of the soul or my spirit, like something wasn't sitting right. I cannot just say yes when I don't think this is the right place to go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that point you just made was really important because it didn't sit well with your spirit, but also it felt a little off. And so I think it's easy when it's a situation like that where it's USC or even a position, a job or status, I need to take this because it's, it's more money, or it's a great, great job, great status. But when it, even when it doesn't feel right, so being able to trust that and act in obedience, I think, is really a powerful story, especially within that. And real quickly, kind of diving back into kind of your early years, you talked on not necessarily wanting or desiring to play football, but you wound up doing it. What was that progression like, and why did you start getting in football? And you know, talk a little bit about upbringing and, and how you got into what you you wound up doing.
0: I love the word progression because that's that's exactly what it was growing up it was football basketball baseball track we just played all the sports really it was yeah. soccer and basketball were the first two sports that we played you know six you know six years old or eight years old just playing and then we tried baseball for a year i was horrible i would be the guy that would close his eyes and swing <laughs> i'd be the guy that it was, it was i don't know if it was machine pitch or coach pitch but either way i was still striking out i would be the guy that wouldn't swing and hope that it would be a ball because people would cheer oh ball! i'm like yeah okay. so baseball and i started playing football And we still played all these sports, but I started playing football in sixth grade or so. And I just played because my little brother played. My little brother played the year before. He played running back. He scored all these touchdowns. People cheered for him. I wanted people to cheer for me. So I said, let me go play football too. But I was a bigger kid, so I had to play offensive line, which I didn't know at the time, that no one cheers for offensive linemen. (laughs) The only time you get any kind of credit is like negative credit when you make a mistake. So it was miserable. I hated it. Not that I wanted to quit, but it just was not fun. I played for the Dolphins. I remember our running back's name was Stefan, and he was good, but we were bad. We are like the Dolphins. Like, not this year, but in the past. (laughs) And so, and and towards parts of this year when Tua was not playing. Uh neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) But... Then, my, then seventh grade, I got a chance to play defense, and I loved it. I mean, it was this thing. I was playing defensive tackle, and I remember, like, walking through campus one day at my school and being like, I love sacks. Like, I love trying to sack the quarterback, this idea of, like, doing this thing, and it could, like, you know, make a huge play. But still, it was just a game. Football in the, f- the fall, basketball in the winter. I would play handball, you know, the ones like in Europe, like the handball in the spring. Yeah, yeah, As I got older, did track and field. And then we talked about it, that football camp that I showed up to by accident. That's when all the offers came. And basketball really was my first love. Like if you asked me if I'd have been six, give me six, eight, man, six, seven is probably too short. But I feel like I'd have been in the NBA. Like that was, I had hoop. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, but it was really football that, that provided the opportunity and the door that got open. And even then, Bailey when I decided to go to Texas and had offers from all the schools, I still wasn't confident in myself. Hmm. It wasn't like, Oh, I know I'm going to go and play. I was like, man, I'm a three-star recruit. I don't even know half these players names. I know the coach, but I, you know, and God just kept on progressing me from the inside out, building confidence. I, I played as a freshman. I wasn't supposed to, I was supposed to red shirt and we had some injuries. And when I say I wasn't supposed to play, the coach told me, Sam, don't even bring your helmet to the sideline. Like, you're not playing. I'm like, all right, no big deal. Like, so I came to the sideline. I had my helmet. I don't know
1: where my helmet good, was. Good thing you brought it. <laughs> well,
0: I didn't even bring it. I think our equipment manager brought it. Oh, because wow. They okay. said, Sam, like, somebody went hurt. Somebody else got suspended. Sam, you got to go in the game. I'm like, coach, I don't have a helmet. Get <laughs> in the game. So, like, our equipment manager, Chip, finds a helmet. Like, I, it might have been this way. Oh, you can't see it, but like, I threw it on and I mm-hmm. ran on the field. And my first play was a sack. First play was a sack on Andy Dalton which I, you know, was awesome. Yeah. And they, but they took me out of the game the next play because I, I apparently wasn't actually supposed to be and I was supposed to redshirt. But okay. just this deal <laughs> of, hey, you can do it. Mm. Even if it feels like an accident, right? Nobody blocked me. I, I need to start leaving that part out. Nobody blocked me on the sack, <laughs> But like this I idea of to like, know oh, that, yeah. nobody, yeah, edit, edit that part out.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Like you can do it. And my sophomore year played a little bit more, right? But it was really my junior year, the progression of no, Sam, this is your opportunity. As a sophomore, I saw a guy named Brian Iraqpo get drafted in the first round, defensive end, went to Washington. And I felt like we had a similar body type, some similar traits. I felt he was stronger and mentally, probably whatever, but straight the same similar traits. And so I said, okay, maybe I can. And my coach affirmed that in me to saying, no, this is your team. And junior year had 10 plus sacks, went to the national championship. Think like ten of our guys on the defense went to the NFL. I went back my senior year, had nine sacks, won the Campbell Trophy, the Warfel Trophy, Big Twelve Sports Person of the Year. Like, and that's not even mentioning all the academic stuff that I was able to do that God was able to like let me do. Yeah. And so it definitely was a progression, and even to the NFL as well. We haven't got there yet, but simpler. It wasn't like I, you could say I knew. Like there was a point I decided summer before my junior year. It's like now I'm going to the NFL. There's no ifs, mans, and buts about it. But before then I was like, oh, maybe you never know.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's so much in that too, but you talked early on about trying new things and just being able to try things and then have fun while you're doing it. And then over time, like you said, the word uses progression. You progress into, you know, understanding what your skill sets are, your gifts and abilities and being able to really hone those things in. And obviously you were part of really, really good teams, not just in college, but also high school and you went to Texas and obviously you had great success at Texas, but at the same time, I'm sure there's things that you had talked about in your last book and, and heard you talk about before. It's really easy to look at people that have been successful in the spotlight and just think it was a cakewalk. And and everyone that that has been in that knows it is absolutely not. There's There's definitely progression of working through things and gaining confidence and still being humble. So what was it like for you to kind of work through some things, even at Texas, I, I mean, I think academically you know you you worked very hard to be very successful academically and talk a little bit about that because that's something that maybe people don't see because on you know you're you're playing against great teams and you're winning and you're you're making sacks and doing all that stuff but it's some of the things off the field that you do enable you to have success on the field as well
0: well to your point bailey there were ups and downs there as well i i talked about oh yeah this i won this award the academic cosmic trophy and i won all these things but there was a time where I got kicked out of the business honors program in Texas. There was a times when I wasn't even in the business school. I mean, I, was, I wanted to be a business major and I was liberal arts. I worked in all the things and got a chance at business schools and got to the honors program. It was, I thought it was going to be awesome and easy and fun. And, and I remember getting a C in one of my classes and it wasn't just because of that C, but there are some minimum requirements for this honors program. Mm-hmm. And I got kicked out of the program. I was like, Oh, no big deal guys. Like, that was football season. Y'all saw how we did. We went Holiday Bowl. You know we were ten and three. You know I'm, I'm on the football team. It was like, but I said in the in the spring, I got you guys. They're like Sam, what happens next fall? And the fall after that, we have students all throughout our program who have a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people are working two and three jobs to support their family, to pay for school. You're not the only one who has extracurricular activities. And so I'm sorry, we're not gonna just take this appeal just cause you play football. And I remember, cause I had appealed this decision and I remember telling my dad, hey, this is what they said. So I guess I'll just stick with the business school instead of the honors program. And my dad looked at me, and said, no son appeal again. And I'm like, wait, what? He's like appeal again. And I'm thinking, does that even a thing? Can people even do that? And it was this idea of like, tell them who you actually are. Not this whole, I'm this big, bad football. Because I was never been me, all this football. No, it's like, I love learning. I love, I I love, like I could recite Shakespeare. Uh, I could give you the Canterbury Tales in in Middle English, the prologue. I can tell you pie to like the 14th decimal. Like, I I love that (laughs) stuff. I enjoy it. And I hadn't really shown that. And so this idea of, when I appealed again, it was this idea of, hey, if you'll give me the opportunity, not only will... Will you see the real me, but you also, like, I will put in the work if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so, what it became was, you know, this plan of, hey, whether it's tutors, because obviously the football team has these tutors, like, I don't need the tutor, No, nah, dude, whether it's tutoring, TAs, time with teachers, even when we travel to games, taking my notes and my laptop. And I mean, we would, the night before games, oftentimes we would go, and people may or may not know this, but you've been prepping all week. Well, the night before the game, it's time to just to kind of relax your mind. And so we would land in whatever stadium we were going to go to, whatever city we were going to go to, and we'd go to the movie theater. And as a team, you could pick out of any movie. We'd go watch a movie, come back, team dinner, a couple meetings and play the game the next day. Well, it got to a point where I would go with the team to the movie theater because we had to, but I would sit outside the movies. and I'd be doing my assignments because I was like, I need to study. Because that's what it required. And so... And and so I got a chance to get back in the honors program, and I talk about that in in my book as well. But it wasn't this idea of, oh, yeah, it's just you work hard and everything's going to be easy. It was this idea of, man, do I still trust God even when things don't go my way? Hmm. Will I still believe even when things look bleak? Will I still pray even when it looks like it hasn't worked? Do I still think that God's purpose is what he said it was even when everything looks dry? and Decrepit and empty and barren, will I still go out on a limb even when it feels like it's a twig that's about to break? That's that's that's, I think, what God wants from us, right? Hebrews 11 6 um, talks about without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance, it's fe- like I don't see it. But there's evidence. The football camp, I didn't know anything. I just showed up. But then this opportunity, and then it was still, nope, I'm still going to serve. And I was scared. But then God said, no, I've got you. And then this, this honors program, well, I guess I'll just quit. And thankfully, I had good people around me to say, no, don't quit. God's not done yet. Appeal again. Try again. I talk about that. You know, We're talking about that in, you know, in the book, these this idea of these architects. Mm -hmm. people who can help you build those things you want to build. We need them in our high points and also our low points.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think going back into what you were talking about a little bit ago, it's in what ways and how can you surround yourself with people that whenever you're going through situations where you're stepping out in faith, you know, it might feel like a twig that's about to break. But to continually put yourself in positions and around people that help you kind of take those steps of faith, be obedient, be persistent like you were in that situation, and how can you continue to develop that over time? And if you could say anything, what, what were some of the key things for you to get better at, at trusting and obeying and being faithful and surrounding yourself with good people?
0: God gave them to me. <laughs>
1: you
0: know I, mean? mm. I wish I could have said, oh, I picked this person and I chose that person. No, God gave them to me. Thinking about my dad. And that conversation about appealing again that had never crossed my mind
1: Hmm.
0: my mind had stopped that well i didn't pass this class or i'd passed but it wasn't good enough and maybe i'm not good enough and and even when i said no to usc i'm thinking we were on the plane and there's no service in you know these villages in nigeria i can't call the guy back what have i done think my dad my dad as well is like no dude god's in control even though he was the one who was like, just commit. Who cares? Just commit. I, was like, I can't commit. You know, so like, you know, and even friends that God put in my life. I think what I one thing I would say is when you do find those people, or when they do, when they are in your vicinity, get close to them. Learn about them. Lean in. Observe. And then act. One of my best friends, we met. At a concert backstage I'm about a huge concert guys this little concert and i was hoping to go meet lecrae and tadashi these you know rappers and as i'm waiting in line to meet them they see somebody else and call this random like a random dude like oh man i'm like who is this guy why are y'all talking to him and not me like what is going on yeah. and we exchanged numbers, but I was too busy or whatever, whatever. You he, he happened to run into each other. I said, God did it. I re- happened to run into this guy again, like months later at church. First week I went to this new church. Apparently it was his first week as well. And I recognized him and I'm like, Hey man, I think I met you backstage. And he's like, dude, I think I, I think we did meet. So we connected. That was 2012 or so. And we've been friends ever since. And he's helped me with books, with TV, with speaking, right? Like there are people in your vicinity get curious, learn about them.
1: Absolutely. No, I think getting curious and learning about people is, is so important and then surrounding yourself with people, but you, you touched on the word action, which I know we'll dive into here in a second, but you obviously had a great career at Texas and then you wound up getting a chance to go play in the NFL. What were those experiences like? And what did you learn through playing in the NFL? If you could, you know, there, we could dive into a whole other podcast about that experience, but just in general, what were some of the things that you learned through those experiences while playing in the NFL?
0: Yeah, I learned that it is scary to be honest and open in front of people who see you every single day. That was one of the biggest lessons I've learned. Scary, but necessary. And what I mean by that is, as a rookie, our coach would have us the night before games pick one person to give a speech in front of the defense, because we'd have team meeting and offense and defense. And I remember I got an opportunity late in the season to share my story and I felt naked and vulnerable and I didn't feel afraid, but just felt naked in front of these guys because I could have, it's easy to share this fun and great story if you don't know me. but well, y'all know me, y'all see me every day, <laughs> but it was necessary because I think they needed to see my vulnerability. I, I learned also that you need other people to grow part of my success was because of the people who were older than me. I I had a veteran player named Adrian Wilson, who taught me, like, you know, they have rookies and, you know, Hey, carry my pass. I wanted to carry his pass. This dude showed me everything about the playbook. This dude taught me how to work out. We worked out together. When there was an NFL lockout, this dude invited me to his house. Like, Oh wow. This idea of mentorship is so huge. Mm -hmm. People teaching me how to watch film. It's one thing to just go and sit and just press play, but no, this is what you look for. Another, another veteran player named Clark Hagen who played my same position did the same thing hey man you're not going to see this on tape but anytime you see this formation play it this way how do you know i've done it for for 10 years i'm taking your advice and mind you he said stuff the coach didn't even say and he was right so that's what i learned the value of of learning from people older than you and humbling yourself and being being open
1: yeah Well, what about vulnerability? How, you know, why is it so challenging for us to be vulnerable? And how do you get better at being vulnerable?
0: I think it's so hard because no one wants to be or feel rejected or be or feel like a reject. And if you just protect yourself, well, there's nothing to reject. But if you put yourself out there, it's easy for someone to ignore you or to say no. Or to laugh at you and you may have had those experiences before as a child or yeah as a child and those don't feel good but we have to realize that okay we were a child you once you, we, you want you once were a child but now you're an adult so how can that adult take over as opposed to that child of, I don't know I don't know and so I think that's why and I think how is having going to counseling I guess that that's helped me going to therapy and realizing oh wow there is this child this adult this shadow piece it's like whoa like those negative voices and criticism it's like is that who is where is that from Hmm. or the fear or whatever I suppose like man who am I where am I how am I showing up but so I think having conversations whether it's with a therapist a friend uh, bringing it to prayer people whether if you're a church family whatever addressing those things openly and bringing them to the light and talking about them, I think brings a lot of freedom.
1: Yeah. And was that something that was easy to do in a locker room setting to develop those relationships and uh, of trust, or was it something where you're coming in as a, as a a new guy where it's a little bit different and maybe a little uncomfortable. And how do you go about, you know, getting in a position where you really trust people to be able to, to talk about those things that really you're going through.
0: It was actually a lot more difficult than I would have expected. You think, well, you're in a locker room with 53-man roster, and you travel together, you eat together, you practice together, blood, sweat, and tears. And it it's easy to hide in those atmospheres. It's easy just to say, hey, man, how are you doing? I'm good, and just keep it moving. And I realized that it is much more difficult, but much more life-giving and freeing for you and for others to... When someone asks you, hey, are you good? And if they care, not everyone cares. People say, are you good? And keep on walking. Mm -hmm. Or say, hey, what's up, man? And don't care. But if they stop, if they care, almost like to look into the lens of their eyes and say, is this moment the time to share? And if it is, then do it. Mm -hmm. If it's not, then find a time. And maybe not with that person. Maybe with someone else, because it's not everybody. That's yeah. open for
1: it. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think uh, one thing you talked about there was just being able to have an awareness of situational awareness and self-awareness. That's really important. And I know that's something that's like, I don't know really how you pinpoint how to develop self-awareness, but it's really, really key as well as emotional awareness. So if you have any ideas on that, for sure, share them. But I think that's really important to be able to have that self and emotional awareness when you're in these relationships. You know, because sometimes when you go in and you just, you know, share everything right in front of someone, they're like, OK, easy, you know. But at the same time, um, having that emotional and self-awareness, like, OK, I can really see it, like you said, in their eye. I think that's a great perspective to to really understand the situation that's in front of you. And sometimes relationships are developed over time. Sometimes it's it's super easy and super natural. It just depends on the person, right?
0: And, and you're right, Bailey. I think it, and I think it takes time as well, as you mentioned it. It takes time to develop those relationships, but it also takes time to develop that awareness for yourself. And when I say takes time, I don't mean, all right, well, five years or 10 years. No, I mean, take time. Mm. You have your schedule and you have your things and you have kids to take care of, but no, take time. And it's not, okay, self-development. No, like with you, for you and for God. This morning, and I've been this now, man, I've been running and busy and all these things. This morning, I took time, got up early, was reading a devotional, spending time reading the word of God and praying and asking God, hey, tell me, help me with what's from you and what's from me. Who am I in so many ways? Think about like I have kids and, and my wife and I, but I'll just use her. Knows our kids better than they know themselves. My wife knows my eight year old better than he knows himself. Why? He's still trying to figure out who he is and his emotions. What are these things? And she's been with him his whole life. My parents, in a lot of ways, know me, you could say, better than I know myself. I mean, sure, I know myself, but it's like, man, I've known when you were little and this happened and that happened. and And so, in a lot of ways, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And sometimes we feel like we know ourselves really, really well, but other times it's like, man, I'm pretty sure, but man, why did that happen? And so I'm learning that we have to take time to really develop that emotional awareness and self-awareness and really like God awareness of God. Tell me who I
1: am. Remind me of who I am. So going into that, how important is like intentionality? Cause you've got a lot of things going on. You've always had a lot of things going on, but now you have kids you have a spouse, like you're doing all these different things. How important is being intentional with your time? And how do you try to allocate that and be intentional um, where you're not just like running and running and running. And you're like, what, where the heck am I? Because I didn't take the time to be intentional.
0: I'm still working on it, Bailey. Yeah. If I be totally honest with you. yeah, yeah. There are seasons where it's awesome. It's like, boom, 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 all set up. And there are other seasons where it's almost like, a dog chasing a stick. It's like, oh, here, there, everywhere, you know? Yeah. And I'm trying to be better. I think I'm at my best when I'm not just running all over the place and I'm being more intentional about who I spend my time with, how I spend my time, and also not being afraid of something that I don't know. Like sometimes I'll do something, I'll be like, oh, no. Let's say I give my number out to somebody somebody. It's like, oh no, all these people are going to call me. And it's like, no, dude, it hadn't happened yet. Right. I remember I spoke at this event and I gave, I shared my number with like this group. I'm like, what was I doing? And why did I do that? They're all going to hit me up and I it was it's like, dude, two people. And one person pocket dialed me on accident. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, oh man, I want to meet, you know, I want to meet with these people and, and do all these things, but how am I going to do the next step? It's like, dude, you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Just make the call. Yeah. It's, it's, it's three people. Mm-hmm. Make three calls. Right. It, it's, it's, one conversation you're not at the other place yet just do the thing that's in front of you i think that's where i gotta be where i have to be better at
1: mm, and that's where a challenge be yeah absolutely and that's probably the biggest challenge for all of us just being present and doing a great job where we're at and I, as we look at maybe your story you could sit there and see how progression like you said before has enabled you to you're, you're doing the best job i wasn't there but i, I can assume you were doing the best job at what you were doing at that given time as a player, then at Texas and the NFL doing a great job. And then because you did a great job and you worked extremely hard, you had opportunities that popped up maybe intentionally or unintentionally. And then, you know, you're working at ESPN currently, you're writing books, you're leading people, you're speaking, you're making a difference. But that all comes because you do a great job where you are each day. And it's challenging because there's so many distractions and so many things that get in our way of, uh, just being present and enjoying the moment. But at the same time, yeah, I think the word that I would love to dive into with you is just being your best, which kind of is a progression with your books, being able to talk about, let the world see you, understanding who you are and just being yourself and then going into Change Starts With You because I assume you know the change can't happen until you fully understand who you are as as well. So love to dive into your book a little bit here and kind of talk about that.
0: Yeah, and you talked about it's not even fully understanding who you are, but I think it's this because I know because I don't think I'm even there yet. Mm-hmm. And I say, Eve, I'll, I, I'm not there yet. But it is this journey. Absolutely. of I got to open up at least a little bit. Like, let me just peek in there. It's like, oh, that's me. Okay, let me go, go and do more of that. Man, I got hurt. But man, but that one, re- that was really life giving. Mm-hmm. You talk about so change starts with you. I talk about just some of these things that God put us on earth to do. But we're like, oh, I don't know. And I got burned before. And it's like, nah, dude, keep on going, keep on going. And even if you like trip and fall and stumble, there are people who are waiting for your words. There are people who are waiting for you to release this podcast or start that podcast or write that letter or send that email or show up to that place with that person. Or like there are real live people on the other side of your ideas and your dreams, and your hopes, and your desires. Those are not there by accident. And so this idea of change starts with you. It starts with, we talked about taking that time and peeking into your soul, like allowing God to like see you and then say, okay, God, this is me. And maybe God, tell me who I am. And then God, take me where you want to take me. And there is a piece of obedience there, but there is a piece of freedom as well. Some of the stuff we've got a chance to do in Chicago and Nigeria, in different parts of the world, or even locally at home as a dad, yeah, as a husband. Yeah. Stuff that I'm learning, it's like, no, I want it. I want all this stuff to change. But what if I was the key? And I think I am. I think you are too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you talked about just being the change you wish to see sometimes, like being able to act on those things is really key. Just like you, you know, trying football out back in the day. You're trying new things, you're learning, you're growing, you're failing, you're moving forward, but you're constantly learning, and constantly improving, constantly growing. It's curiosity to step into some of those things. But like you talked about earlier, the the rejection, the fear of the unknown, all these things can get in our way. But if we can take those steps, just take a little step first and then see how that, that grows. And maybe it pivots into, I think you had talked about a while back, pivoting. You know, you just pivot to the next thing, right? So, and also too, I, I'd love to dive in, There's a story you had talked about where I think it was back, uh, 2020, 2021, all the the stuff going on. You decided to act on something you felt in your heart and you got a group of people together and you became the change that you wish to see. Talk, talk about that. I think it's a powerful story. In in
0: 2020 COVID happens. Uh Sports are canceled. I'm still training, trying to figure out, am I still going to play? Am I not? I just finished my ninth year in the NFL and, I'd been going to counseling and a lot of stuff had happened. I'm trying to figure out what's next. And George Floyd gets killed. and Anaheim Arbery had also been killed. And I had processed that. Talk about being open. I just was like, no, I'm busy. here, But there was nothing to distract me or anyone else. And so I remember being in Arizona for a while. I was doing a podcast with some friends. I decided to take this road trip back to Chicago and, so it's this four-day road trip. We kind of took our time, stopped at a hotel here or there with the family. One of our last stops was in St. Louis. And for the first time, I'd stopped to turn on the news or process or whatever. I don't know what was going on. And all of a sudden I'm seeing Chicago all over the news and looting and rioting and chaos. And and I'm I live in Chicago. I live in, in one of the suburbs close to where we practice, but I, this is home. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking and I'm like, that doesn't look like home. And it and 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 there's gotta be more to the story, this curiosity of like, it can't just be that. And around that time, I got a call from a friend saying, Hey Sam, I don't know if you see what I see or you're seeing what I'm seeing, but you've got to do something. And I'm thinking, um, what, what do you want me to do? What can I do? And it's essentially this idea of, Hey, use what you have. Yeah. Let the world see, you No change, do something. And so I remember, Waking up and taking the road trip back to Chicago, and four hour, five hour trip, and we had actually rented our house out to someone else before COVID, so we were going to stay at a hotel and figure it out. And I reached, got to the hotel, I had to reach out in the interim to a nonprofit leader in Chicago, saying, "Hey, what do you need us to do? Whatever you need, we are ready." And I say, "We," I didn't know who it was going to be, but I was like, well, "I'm ready to do something." And I said, "What are your, what do the kids need?" Because she work, works with kids on the South and West Side. Chicago she said, honestly, Sam, all our kids need right now is to be heard. <laughs> they need someone to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I mean, I, I was planning on doing a whole lot more, but sure, I could listen and show up. So, so, I, so I called up some friends and some friends called me like pocket dialed from pro baseball players, like random stuff you would never <laughs> believe. I talk about it and, and change starts with you. I talk about it in the book, but all of a sudden we come almost every single team, professional sports team from Chicago, Bears, Bulls, Cubs, Blackhawks, White Sox, Chicago Sky show up to listen to some kids and some cops. And we sat and we listened and we heard, or you know, heard, heard some kids, you know, black kids, black and brown kids from that community saying, how come when I turn on the TV, young black girl, probably 13, 14 years old, said, how come when I turn on the TV, I only see people who look like me getting shot? Or I only see stories of the bad police officers, because we have officers there too. We had officers say, Man, I know my job is to protect and serve, but oftentimes we often forget the serve part. Heard some you know, 13, 14 year old black kid from the community saying, man, I'm not, why would I clean up this neighborhood? Nobody cares about that, my neighborhood. Just frustration and despair. And after we, and athletes, the same thing. I thought I was immune to this, no. Athletes saying, man, I, I'm getting racially profiled in my neighborhood that I thought I was, be different. So we listened, but also we moved. We took a tour of the community. And yes, we saw buildings boarded up and glass on the ground. But we also saw something that was more, much more startling, deeper than what we saw. And I was on the bus. Jason Hayward, baseball player for the LA Dodgers now, played with the Cubs at the time. He's just looking out the window. I just, I tap him on the shoulder. I was sitting behind him on the bus, on the right-hand side of the bus. And I said, Jason, because I think I saw what he saw. I said, Jason, we've been on this bus for, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes right now. I said, how many, how many grocery stores have you seen in this community? I said uh, maybe one. I said, How many? I said, uh, I said, how many liquor stores have you seen? He said, over 10. So we discovered, uncovered a problem that we didn't even know existed this idea that, man, it seems like the government has almost turned its back on this community. So I was a marketing major in college, business honors and marketing, and one of my professors always had said, hey, you know, Dr. Lee McAllister, her, her motto was, find a need and fill it. Well, hey, there was this need of fresh food. What if we could fill it? But we didn't want it to be our idea or our plan. We wanted to ask the young people in that community, hey, so we met with them the next week, said, hey, where do you get your healthy food? Where do you get your food from? He said, Sam, we want to get food. We go to McDonald's or the gas station. And I'm thinking, okay, McDonald's, I'll get, you know, not bad, happy meal, whatever. But like the gas station?
1: Did you say healthy food?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. healthy. I said, where do you get your healthy food from? Yeah. He said, Sam, we well, want to get something healthy or organic. We have to commute 45 minutes to the next city. So yes, we would love a food mart in our community. And that conversation, Bailey, led to weeks and weeks of meeting with these young kids. We call them young entrepreneurs now because they actually helped run and manage this food mart that they dreamt of. And athletes we provided the capital raised about half a million dollars between the 17 of us. Nonprofit helped as well. They pitched in uh, about a hundred thousand and like we bought this liquor store that was right next to one of these nonprofits I was trying to change the community and we got a chance to, like with the kids' help and God's help turn it into this food mart. Really the kids led the way.
1: Yeah. Well, like you said, there's power in listening and then find the need and fill it. So it's easy to look at all these things that are going on and see the need, but not a lot of people act on the need. So it's an, I mean, it's, it's just one of the things I'm talking to myself as well, as I'm saying this stuff, it's whatever need you see, take action on it, do it. And I think we'll, you know, you dive into that. We'll let people go find out on your book and read it themselves. But I love, I love the term as you started in chapter one, talking about building, the word building. And obviously this podcast is called Building Excellence, so it ties in pretty perfectly. And just being your own architect of you know, and creating a plan for your life. Uh, I think that's really important. But I want to make sure you know we get out of here on time and honor your time. But real quickly, a question I always love hearing is, in your opinion, what does it mean to be a great husband and father? Did not expect that question. Okay. <laughs> But I love it. Yeah.
0: I think those are two separate questions. Hmm. I think being a great husband, it starts with patience. And a father as well. I think it starts with patience. And that's really patience with ourselves. I think we oftentimes get short and frustrated and angry with those around us. Cause we haven't given grace, you know, cause we are short and frustrated and angry with ourselves. Mm. And I think to be, a, I think we need to forgive ourselves and be kind to ourselves and love ourselves better. The Bible talks about like, love your love others the way you love yourself. It's like, well, if you don't love yourself, it's hard to love others. And so I think to be a great husband, it starts with patience. And yes, there's an understanding of being of providing, but I think it's like trusting that God will provide and trusting that God loves you and God's plan for your marriage is a good one. His plan that no, your kids aren't first and no, your wife's not first, God's first. And then you and your wife and then your kids don't put them in front of her. So patience is one. The second, as you just heard, like the plan, like trusting God's plan is the second one. And I think there has to be an idea of of consistency. And I don't mean consistency in action. No one, everyone's different. Some people, I wake up at 6, 7 a.m. or 4.30 in the morning every day. I I think people are different. But I think there is a consistency in, man, if I made a mistake, asking for forgiveness, <laughs> acknowledging that mistake, like being consistent in that as a husband and a father. And So I think those three, you know, patience and mm-hmm. the plan and just this consistency, I think they go for both husband and father. And I think the thing that would be different for a father, I think is, I think there has to be an idea of calm. even if it's not your personality, I think our kids look at us and like there's a song by Upper Room and it's like, it's saying like, it's like, I'm your father, I'll protect you. I'm so proud of you, lay your weapons down. I love you, I know you, put your guard down. And I think great fathers are open as opposed to like these fists up and like or angry, they're open. I'm your father. My job is to protect you and to guide you and to discipline you for your benefit. And I'm proud of you. So lay down when you get to this home Lay your burdens down and your weapons down. Bring them to me. Because I know you. Like we talked about earlier, man, our parents know us better than we know ourselves. I know you and I've been patient with myself. I'm trusting God's plan. I'm going to be consistent in my asking for forgiveness. But also I'm going to be calm in the peace of, Yeah, and the peace of God's peace.
1: Man, I love that. We could end right there. I just have two quick questions for you. That That was great. But is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever had? And what is it?
0: Be you. And I sound super nonchalant, but the timing of that advice, I've always, whether it's on TV or being a color analyst for a game or on the football field or in a meeting, the best advice I've always gotten is be who God made you to be. Don't try to be somebody else or like do it their way. God gave you your ideas, his ideas. He gave you your mind. His mind gave you these things. So be you, be you. That's some of the best advice. And it's not just the advice. It's the time that I get it. I'm like, I'm uncertain. It's like, not be you. And then the second one is I'm proud of you. Like, that's not advice. But when I hear that, I got a friend text me, man, you're a great husband. You're, you're a good father. You're a good husband. You're a good friend. You're a good son. Like that's really the encouragement I've gotten, but the advice is be you.
1: Yeah. Be you. And then like your friend did, uh, you can be that person just like he is to you saying you're Mm -hmm. proud of somebody. So that's a great, great perspective. So this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does Building Excellence mean to you? It means
0: process, and it means progress. I say process, meaning like it does take time, and you have to crawl before you walk. You will stumble, and that's okay. Process. I'm not talking about lines and systems and waiting. No, I'm talking about process. Takes time, and then progress. With that process, does come progress, and It also takes time. So I think building excellence looks like consistency. Mm -hmm. My coach used to always say, consistently good to be great. And that never left me. You want to be great? Yeah, I want to be great. Be consistently good. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, over time, you'll see this extremely large sample size of not only good, but really good. And all of a sudden it elevates into great. and so building excellence to me looks like consistency, consistency con- you know consistently good, and that e- that equals greatness
1: mm. i love I love that love what you said because it is so powerful. be consistent every single day and being yourself. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show for sharing your story um, and for being a great example, not just to the people that get to see you every day, the people that you're around, but also to your family and what you talked about. Cause that was, that was, I loved, I loved that answer to what you said. I definitely was taking a lot of notes as you were saying that. So, but you've got a new book coming out March 7th, I believe, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. All right. Change starts with you. What, what's the best way for people to buy the book, to follow you, to learn more about you, all that stuff.
0: Yeah. So the best way to go to samachobook.com or just go to Amazon and type in change starts with you. The subtitle is following your fire to heal a broken world you can pre-order that book right now or if this when this ever this podcast comes out you can actually go and order it right now so it's available uh, anywhere you get books and the way to keep in touch with me you can go to my website just sammacho.com you can find the book there as well or you can uh, i'm on social media all over social media so uh, those are the easiest ways
1: awesome well sam thanks so much for coming on the show we appreciate it awesome thanks bailey Hey, everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.